Well, happy Lord's Day to those of you who are watching from home. We uh, enjoyed being able to get together and worship the Lord in person last week, but it's not the same without everyone there, and we are looking forward to the day when we can all be here together, uh, everyone uh, meeting to worship the Lord. In the meantime, we are absolutely grateful to the Lord that technology like this exists so that uh, you not only can hear the sermon, read the sermon, but watch the sermon as well. Um, And let's just begin to jump right in where we're at. We're in Luke chapter 14 today, so if you will, open your Bibles over that way. And our passage today is a continuation from last week. You see, Jesus is at a dinner party. He's been at this dinner party. Uh, And as we were seeing last week, he's called out the the guest of the dinner party because they pridefully come in and are seeking out the most honorable seats in the entire place. And, And then after he's done that, in some sense, he just drops the mic. But a lot like that guy in the Verizon commercial that looks a little bit like Ryan Sear, Jesus picks up the mic uh, and he begins to turn his attention this time on the host of the party uh, who by now, I can only imagine, right, that he is regretting ever inviting Jesus to his party because things are getting weird. Um, So let's just see what Jesus has to say to the host and what Jesus has to teach us today in his word recorded for us. Um, And so, um, just so you know right off the bat, we usually will split it into like two sections. Today we're actually splitting into four sections. One section is one verse, so don't get too concerned. Uh, Anyway, we're going to be beginning Luke chapter 14, verse 12. He, meaning Jesus. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let us us pray. Father, thank you for giving us this sweet time of worship. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity to dig into your word, your holy word. We ask that uh, you would enlighten our minds to to learn from it, to be changed by it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and we ask this. Amen. And so this passage here begins to lead us to this very important question. And that question is, how in the world were they able to host a banquet while following the CDC guidelines? That's, That's the question. I'm kidding, of course. Now, it really does lead us to a real question that we need to be asking ourselves from the very start. And, and the question is this, who am I kind to? Who am I kind to? What, what sort of person is worthy of my kindness, worthy of my generosity of time and resources? Who? And, and then what we need to learn here and is, is really what, what grace really is. Just at the heart of that word. Because, you know, unlike how most of us actually work in our life, true grace seeks the good of those who need it. Not the good of those who deserve it. Not the good of those who have something to offer us. But simply the good of those who need it. And so Jesus is speaking to the host and and he tells the host, you know, this is how you need to handle your your invite list. You've done it all wrong. And he begins right off the bat with the the people not to invite. Don't invite your friends, your, your siblings, your relatives, 
you know, the rich neighbors, don't invite them, right? In, in other words, all the people you really want to invite to your party, don't invite those people to your party. And, and the reason Jesus says not to do this, not to invite these people, is right there at the end of verse 12, which, which you can see. He says, don't invite them lest they, and we expect something terrible, right? Like, don't, don't invite them lest they, they come and they stab you in the back, or don't invite them lest they come and they steal all your stuff. Or, or, or lest they show up and they start telling embarrassing stories from your childhood. Something like that. But what Jesus actually says is, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Careful, they might repay you the favor. That doesn't sound so bad, does it? In fact, we, we kind of expect that. We, we want that on some level. I've, I've known a... A number of, uh, I've known a fair number of Christians who are, in my life rather, that do an amazing job at inviting people to their house, inviting them into the meal, inviting them into fellowship, but, but eventually get frustrated because people don't, don't invite them back in return. There's not that reciprocal aspect that, to that. And I don't say this to condemn anyone for feeling that frustration. I've felt it myself at times too, but simply to point out that we naturally, we naturally expect something in return for our hospitality. Even if it's a sub-level where we don't even realize we're expecting it in return. I mean, can't you hear it, you know, the, the conversation between a husband and a wife, you know, how, how can they have a Super Bowl party and not invite us? We, we invited them to our Texas Independence Day party, right? They, they invited the Lannix to the Super Bowl party. They, they, they wouldn't even know the Lannix if we hadn't invited them to our party. Something like that where we just expect it back in return. And, and, and so now... As you think on Jesus' words here, I, I do want to warn you, don't, don't panic, right? It's not wrong to invite your friends to a party. The, the, the issue is, is, is really deeper. Why are you inviting someone over? Are, are you only blessing those who are later going to bless you or who you think might later bless you, right? That's the question. But, but Jesus isn't forbidding hospitality to relatives and friends. And if you had a friend over to your house last Friday, this, the, the Jesus didn't want you to feel guilty for it. Like, oh, I like these people and they might invite me over. I, oh, I'm horrible. Like, don't do that. That's, that's not what he intends. You know, Jesus himself cared about his family. He had friends. He ate with them often. Close for friendships, close relationships. They need to be nurtured with meals and drinks and time together. Further, the, the scriptures teach us to care about those outside of the church, yes, and that's what Jesus is really getting at here, but also within the church as well. You know, Galatians 6.10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those of the household of faith. You see, the underlying issue here is, is learning to show kindness to those who need kindness, not, not to those who can return kindness. You, you might remember that in, in this way, um, don't invest kindness expecting a return on your investment. I instead, give kindness away freely. Give it away. N not, not always, uh, you know, it's not always that we need to say, you know, I'll, I'll watch your kids if you'll watch my kids later, a tit-for-tat kind of thing. Uh, but sometimes, you know, can I watch your kids for you while you go and you do whatever it is with no expectation? 
And, and again, it's not always wrong to trade, ser- trade services with people, but there, there are times for us that we need to show grace to others in the way that God has shown grace to us, meaning there is no requirement that anything is going to come back to us. No expectation of that. You see, the, the danger of only showing kindness to those who can repay us is that it begins to really strengthen our selfishness and strengthen our pride be, because on some level we begin to think, you know, because of the grace I've shown them, they, they owe me something. They're indebted to me. And, and that begins to really just mess up our, our whole view, our whole understanding of God's grace to us and, and how that works. You know, we, we also might begin to think, you know, you know that the, the grace of God is this transaction between us, a, a two-way transaction where, where God invites us into his kingdom and, and then we must repay him somehow. You see, if you're trying to pay God back for the grace of forgiveness you don't really understand what he's done for you and how he's done it. Because number one, you were incapable of paying God back, you know. Imagine if so one of your rich friends, really rich friends, I suppose, because uh, buys you a jet for your birthday. Here it is. Here's your jet. And you're, thank you. I appreciate my jet. Uh, and, and you don't have any money, right? You're, you don't have enough money, though, that, that when his birthday comes around, there's no way you're buying him a jet or anything equivalent. You're absolutely incapable of paying that back in any form or fashion. That's the way it is God, with God. We are incapable of paying him back. And, and number two, God isn't like these Pharisees. God doesn't welcome you into his house for what you can do for him. It's, it's just kindness. It's just unmerited grace. Now that's not to say that, that following Jesus doesn't cost us something. In fact, we're going to see it next week, but, there, but in no way or fashion are, are we paying God back for what he's done. And he doesn't want us to do that. He really doesn't. Now, I've been building a fence that we wanted to put around our garden because deer are the worst and they wander in and they eat everything. Uh, And as I'm making this, step by step with no plans, I might have messed up my measurements royally. Uh, And and so I went and I asked uh, Craig Klein, you know, can you help me? Can you fix everything I've just messed up? And he came over and he did fix my mistake and it looks great. Now, now if I'm honest, there's a part of me that because he's done this for me begins to think, oh, I, I owe Craig something. I'm indebted to him. I need to pay him back. What can I do for Craig? How can I pay him back for this? But, but I also know that he was helping me simply because I had a need that he could meet. And if I then try to pay him back, I, you know, I will only rob him of the joy that he gets from the kindness of, of showing grace to another individual. That's a taste of what Jesus is talking about. And, and just a taste, truly just a case, taste, because even, even that's within the covenant community. But Jesus is pushing us much further, right? He's, he, he's pushing us with this, this invite list that he's going to give here in a minute, or as he did give, we read it. And, and the first thing that becomes abundantly clear as we read this is that Jesus cares more about those who are physically impaired, economically desperate, and spiritually needy than you or I do. It's just the truth. We need to admit it. We're not like Jesus in this way. Now, that's what we see, right, in in this invite list, is how much he cares about those people. He says, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Those are the four people. We'll see it again later. These these were the people who in the first century could not support themselves. They couldn't support themselves and they had no safety net for, for, from the government, uh, government assistance or anything. Uh, and worse than that, they had no assistance from the Jewish community to, to, to help them when, when things fell through. 
And so the Pharisees, you know, they even viewed them that these people are under God's curse. And their idea was, you know what? The reason you're, you're in poverty, the reason you're blind, the reason these things are wrong with you is that you, you are, you know, cursed by God. And, and as a result, the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders just considered them absolutely worthless, right? They, they considered them like 2020, you know, royals tickets or something of no value in the community anymore. Now, when was the last time and this is a, a convicting question. When was the last time you did something kind for someone who you know could not do anything in return? You know, if, if you're like me, then you, you want to even know, like, what, what would that even look like today besides helping some idiot with his fence after he messed things up? What would that look like today since, since we don't actually throw many banquets, do we? And it might be building a relation with someone, relationship with someone who is outside of our community. It might be welcoming awkward or even difficult people into fellowship. It might be doing things with people who, 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 with truly zero expectation that they're going to return or do anything back and return to you. Something that, that, that's just for their good, for their kindness to them. It, it might mean that when you throw a party, you, you just take the time to remember who are the people that this general invite's gone out to who are probably not going to come because they don't really feel comfortable here. And, and just give them a personal invite. You, we would love for you to show up. I want you to come to this party. We want to include you. We can even teach this to our children, right? By, by asking them every year when their, when their birthday party comes up. Yes, ask them, who do you want to invite to your party? But, but what if we also ask them, who do you think needs to be invited to this party? Who, who, who's an outsider? Who would this mean a great deal to, you know? And I think maybe it begins with us all asking our question, who, who are even the, who are the outsiders in the circles we, we live in? Who are the strangers in your neighborhood who are just easy to think, we have this group of people and I don't know what's going on with them. Who are those people? Who, who are the outsiders at your place of work? And then in verse 14, Jesus says, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of, of the just." And we talk a lot about the resurrection, but for, for now, I just want you to understand this here, that, that, that you understand that, that you will be blessed and, and you will be repaid, not now, not by the people you do service to, right? But by somebody else. And, and what we see here is that uh, at the resurrection, that, that God's going to repay us. And you don't need to know what that means. The details of that, I probably couldn't give you an accurate answer to. Uh, scripture does not do that. God has his reasons for not telling us the details of that, but we can trust that it's true simply because Jesus says it's true. And so then the, the passage goes on, and we'll be reading here in a moment, but uh, at, at this point you need to understand that, that Jesus has actually completed the whole set. And if you're wondering what set I'm talking about, he's offended absolutely everybody at the party. He has well done. Everyone's offended, right? He's, he's offended all the Pharisees by healing a man on the Sabbath. He, he's offended the guests that we looked at last week by calling them out for their pride based on the seats they were looking for. And, and, and the host now, right, by, by showing, look how self-serving all your invite list is. He has offended absolutely everyone. In fact, the, the men in the room at this point are probably ready to begin social distancing from Jesus. They would love to have that opportunity, um, but they're not going to get it. So uh, anyway, you, you can imagine because of all these insults going just how awkward this room is at that moment. In fact, if, uh, if this were one of the shows like The Office, there'd be one of those camera angles that look at the Pharisee with the big eyes like, do you 
see what crazy stuff's going on here? Um, that's how awkward this thing is. And, and so in the midst of this, right, of this socially trained or strained situation, one guy speaks up and, and he's trying to smooth things over. And he does it by, by throwing out this, this phrase that surely everyone can agree with and that's actually really common for them. We look at it in verse 15, follow along as I read. Uh, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to them, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And I picture it in a real deep southern kind of accent, right? Uh, and, and anyway, what, what, he, what he says here is, is this reference to Isaiah 25. It's this reference to this uh, eternal feast that God promises in the future where God is going to be the host and where he's going to, to take away the pain and the distress of his people and it's just going to be a wonderful celebration. And, and this man's assumption, like all the other Pharisees present with him, is that because of their own righteousness, because of their righteous standing in the culture, that they have earned and they are assured a, a seat at that table of this future feast. Now, at the same time, this man is downplaying Jesus' statement by suggesting, you know, the poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame, you know, they're ostracized now, but someday they're going to be at the feast. We don't need to really worry too much about them. We all, we all care about the poor. It's good, you know. And, and, and clearly, he says this thinking, oh, Jesus will agree with this statement. But he doesn't. You, you, ever, you ever seen that clip where, where Paul Washer is going off on the, at this youth conference uh, because of, uh, of this profession of faith in Jesus and saying we love Jesus. And at the same time, there, there being nothing that, that looks like they love Jesus. And the crowd starts clapping and they're like, yeah, you know, like this is a good word. Well done, Washer. And, and Washer just straight face says to them, I, I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking to you. And the whole place just goes silent because suddenly they realize he used to be talking to someone else and we agreed with him and now, now we're the ones being condemned in this in some response. See, Jesus' response here is, is very similar to that, only, only he does it less like Paul Washer because he's Jesus and he does it a whole lot more like the prophet Nathan, right? By using this parable in order to kind of come around and show, look at the evil you're actually doing here, both in the case of, of David, King David, and, and also what's going on with the host of this party here. So uh, it's pretty harsh really when you get it down to it. Uh, let's read it starting in verse 16. Uh, he is, is Jesus at the very beginning. Uh, but he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say, those who had be, to, say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come <clears throat> to, this, what, to, the, to the feast. You see, th this is how it works. The, the man is throwing this big party, and, and without the U.S. post office, without the interwebs, planning a party required sending out servants to verbally deliver these invitations. And there were two sets of invitations. The first one goes out way in advance, right? Uh, and, and the servants would, would stay there, and they'd find out, are you planning to come or not? And they'd write down, okay, right? It's similar to the way we RSVP for weddings today, which, uh, by the way, I looked this up because I'm always wondering, what does RSVP mean? Um, it is this French phrase that you and I both know I can't pronounce, so I won't even try to, but it simply means please reply. 
which becomes incredibly redundant when we realize, right? So, so when, when we write on something, please RSVP, you can just say it in your head, I will from now on, what it literally translates to is please, please reply. That's, that's what it says. So anyway, after the first invitation, just like the RSVP, uh, they now know how many people are coming to this feast, to this banquet, to whatever it might be. Um, and, and that way they know how many animals to slaughter and cook, how many meals to, to, to prepare. And again, just like weddings today, right? You know, so we know, okay, we need, we need 62 people. 62 people are going to have chicken and 27 are going to have fish and three would like non-GMO organic vegan meal if we have it. Uh, but, but unlike today, people didn't just show up at 515 on the date of the feast. Things didn't work that way. Uh, they weren't American in the way they, they worked through these things. Instead, the host of the party, as everything's getting ready, would send out his servants again and say, okay, all the people that said yes, go and let them know the feast is ready and they can come to the banquet. Now, to say yes to the first one was a very large commitment, not the way we tend to commit, the things, commit to things today. The idea is you will come, right? Unless some major, you know, catastrophic disaster happens, you are expected to be at this, this event. But that's what people all begin, what, what, uh, you know, what all people begin to do is to find these excuses that we're seeing, right? Uh, we see them. The first one is a financial excuse. The guy says, I bought a field. I need to go see my field. It would, it'd be like saying, we bought a house, so we can't come to your wedding anymore. Okay. Uh, the second one's work-related. I, I bought some oxen that I need to examine. It'd be similar to saying, you know what, I've got a report I need to read before Monday, so I won't be attending the wedding. Uh, and the third is a, a family-related excuse. I've married a wife, and so I can't come, right? It, it seems on the level, on some level, you know what? They're all just too busy for the banquet they agreed to attend. They're just too busy, no big deal. But it's, it's more than that. It really is. They're, they're, they're not too busy for the things that are truly important to us, or we aren't, and none of us are. And, and these excuses here, they are even labeled by the scripture here, right, as an excuse, not a reason. Uh, they are intentionally lame excuses. They are excuses on par with a girl telling a guy, you know, I can't go on the date with you Friday because I'm going to wash my hair, right? If, if that's the excuse that someone tells you, let me just clear this up for you. She does not want to go on the date with you at all. In fact, it's, it's a rude way of saying, I want nothing to do with you. Nothing. These people aren't too busy. They just want nothing to do with the host because they know what a huge insult they have just leveled at him. So if you haven't picked up yet, in this parable, the host in the parable it represents God. The, the first invitation represents Moses and the prophets who invited Israel to be God's people, right? To, to feast in the house of God. That's who they represent. Uh, the, the, the servants in the second invitation represent Jesus, who God has sent to let Israel know, you know, the time is now. The, the feast is here. The banquet is ready. Come now to the feast. And, and again, it's, it's not that their life is too busy. These, these Pharisees simply have rejected Jesus and will not accept the invitation of God here. And this rejection leaves these Jews alienated from God. And, and as we'll see in our last section, those who reject Jesus will miss out on the great banquet of the kingdom of God. Well, let's read our, our last section. Follow along as I read verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled, and blind, and lame. 
And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that, they may, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. And so the master is angry, right? This is the one who represents God. He's angry, but, but God will have the feast. He doesn't even consider canceling the feast at all. Instead, he sends out his servants to invite different people. Those who will come is really what we're talking about. And, and he sends them out to the streets and the lanes in verse 21. They, these areas are inside the city, right? They are nearby where the poor and the crippled, the blind and lame can be found. And this is the same list that we saw back in verse 13, the invite list that Jesus was telling the, the host of the event he's at, uh, currently attending, that he should invite. Uh, these are the despised Jews, right? These are those who are not able to observe the traditional laws because of the issues they have. Uh, they, they cannot meet the ritual, ritual purities that is expected of them. They are just these outcasts that are still within the Jewish culture. And, and, and then we raise this question then, why is God expanding this invite list? Because on, on some level, you begin to wonder, is, is he just shaming the punks who have these lame excuses and won't show up? Is, is this one of those kind of situations? And we might think that because that's the way I might do it, right? I want to shame the punks in, in, in some way, but that's, that's not the way God works. That's, that's not it, what's happening here. And in Jesus' parable, the master has a good motivation, a good motivation, and that's where we can't quite get our heads on what's going on because that's not the way we generally work, but he has a good motivation. He wants to share his house, and he wants to share his wealth and all the good things he has with others. In other words, he's kind. He's inviting people for the right reasons. And while the first group declines with these lame excuses, the master still wants to share all that's his with, with those who are in need. And so, so, so he invites this expanded list. And, and after the disgraced Jews arrive, there, there's still more room. And so the master sends the servants out and he says, go to, the, go to the highways and the hedges. This is outside the city. This is further, right? This is, this is a prophecy that the gospel is going to go out to the Gentiles. And that's what we will later see happens. Now, then in verse 23, Jesus says this, you know, compel the people to come in. And this is specifically with the Gentiles. Compel them. It's, it, it's what we see in 2 Corinthians 5.20 where, 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 we write, where we read this. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, when we share the gospel, we are extending the invitation of our, our master, our Lord, to his great banquet. That, that's what's happening. And, and, and what is God's desire? We, we see it there in verse 23 at the very end, that, that my house may be filled. And I just love that, right? That's, that's his desire, that his house may be filled to generously share what he has with those who are in need, with sinners like you, like me. Now, as Mike McKinley states, the opportunity to feast was now extended to the less desirable members of society, those who could not lend any prestige to the gathering and whose only qualification for attendance was their willingness to accept the invitation. God offers his hospitality to any who will come. And again, that's why J.C. Ryle says this. He says, there's nothing lacking on God's part for the salvation of man. 
If man is not saved, the fault is not on God's side. The, the Father is ready to forgive or to, ready to receive all who come to him by Christ. The Son is ready to cleanse all from their sins who apply to him with faith. The Spirit is ready to come to all who ask for him. There is an infinite willingness in God to save man if man is only willing to be saved. In other words, the sovereignty of God in salvation does not negate the responsibility of men and women to come to Christ. And so the host, right, the, the guest, even that guy who asked the question, they, they know what Jesus is saying in all this. They, they hear it. Uh, they're very aware, right? The, the invitation to the feast is, is standing here as Jesus Christ right before them. And they have this lame list of excuses for why they're rejecting Jesus, why they will not come to God when, when the banquet is ready. And, and it leaves them absolutely alienated from God, and, and so they will never taste of the feast. They have rejected it. Which reads a, brings us to another question. What, what does this mean for us? How, how do we apply this to our life? Or maybe let me ask it a different way. Who are you in this passage? Who do you read this and, and you think, okay, that's, that's really me? And I, I think some of you, particularly the, the guilty, self-shaming types with uh, Catholic backgrounds, are probably thinking, I'm the host at the Pharisee party. I'm the one Jesus is actually going after. And perhaps there's something actually to that, something to learn there. After all, Jesus does tell them the kind of people they should be inviting to the parties. He's wanting to see some change there. Jesus wants the host to invite those who can never pay back. And, and, and so there is an aspect of that. And another aspect, we are the servants, right? We are delivering invitations to the great banquet. We are telling people how to come to faith in Christ. And, and, and who has God told us that we are to deliver these invitations to? Well, everyone, right? We see to the Jews here. We see to the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Uh, it was even delivered to the, to the wealthy at the very beginning, right? The well-off, the prestigious. He also tells us to deliver it to the Gentiles and the, the faraway highways and hedges. It's, it's everyone. And so listen, as a, as a church, we, we need to be careful that we, we don't become a, a country club. And, and by that I mean this, that we, that we only serve our members' needs, not caring anything for those who are outside of the, the community, outside the club. We want to care for and to show kindness and to invite to faith and community those who have absolutely nothing in return. Or at least from our perspective, we don't see what they might have to offer. See, in a practical sense, what I mean by this is let, let us be equally grateful when the Lord brings a homeless man into our fellowship as when he brings a doctor. Equally. And finally, if you really want to know who you are in this parable, here, here it is. You and I, we, we are the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. That's who we are. You, you are those along the highways and the hedges. You, you are those who, who do not deserve help but need help. You are the unworthy, and yet Jesus invites you to the banquet. And only a God of mercy and grace would extend such a gracious invitation as such. And by accepting his invitation and going to the banquet, we receive forgiveness of sin. We receive peace with God. We receive justification of our sins and sanctification of our hearts and an indelible grace and all that our soul needs to be satisfied both today and forevermore. 
I said that was the last thing. I've got one more thing. There, there's just one more aspect we must address, and that's this. When, when we've experienced the grace of God as needy and undeserving people, we become more willing to extend grace to others who are needy and, and undeserving. And while I, I know we, we don't throw many banquets today, and we mentioned that before, and, and in fact, right now, you'd actually have to break the law to throw a banquet, and we don't want that. But, but, but I do want you to understand the heart of the issue that Jesus is actually getting at here, and it's this, who will you show kindness to? Really, consider that question. Consider it in, in, in marriage, in parenting, in, in your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, your baseball team. Consider it as you walk around City Park just trying to get a little of exercise. Who are you willing to extend kindness to? Is it those who can pay you back? Is it those who seem safe? Is it those who are somehow worthy of your kindness? You see, the way Jesus would have us answer that question is, to all who are needy, and will accept it. That's who we'll show kindness to. And in other words, grace seeks the good of the needy, not the deserving. And we know this because we are the needy. We are not worthy. And the Lord has mercifully extended his grace to us through Christ and the gospel. Let us pray. Lord God, show us so that we might see the strangers in our life, so that we might see those who are in need, that we might be willing to show great hospitality in many forms. And Lord, thank you for having invited us to the great banquet. May we make it our, our greatest priority and ambition in life to, to come to the banquet, to accept your kindness. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Have a glorious Lord's Day. Cannot wait to see you.